Good morning and welcome to Sabbath School at Spencerville Church. We're so glad to have you join us once again. If this is your first time joining us, I would encourage you to go back and watch uh, programs one through seven. Uh, I believe they'll be a blessing to you as you have time. And, and if you're like us, where you're stuck at home quite a bit, maybe you have a little extra time. Maybe. And this is much better than Netflix or Amazon Prime or... Much better. Anything else on YouTube, so uh, we hope that you'll be a part of it, uh, or go back and watch those. I'm joined by my good friend Frank Hosel, one of the principal contributors of this quarter's study, along with his cousin Michael Hosel, a professor down at Southern Adventist University. And today we are studying Creation Genesis as Foundation Part 1, and I'm going to end my introduction there and ask you to pray, Frank, because there's a lot of things we want to dig into in this lesson, so Frank, why don't you pray for our study? Yes. Creator God, we want to reflect on what the Bible teaches us about creation and how creation is so foundational mm. to many other things that are mentioned in the Bible and that you want to tell us about. And so we ask for your presence, that you will guide our thinking and our, our discussion here, that we gain a, a better understanding and appreciation of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what people don't maybe think about at times is the idea that, okay, so we, we, we've established the idea in our communication and what we believe is that, is that the scripture is foundational for all truth, right? But in the scripture, there is a foundation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that foundation is the book of Genesis. Yes. And it begins with what words? In the beginning. In the beginning. God created. God created. Genesis is like one giant introduction, and then the rest of the Bible unpacks really the themes of Genesis. Am I accurate in that? Oh, yes. And if, if you, in fact, if you read in the Bible, you, you'd be amazed how often in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, biblical writers refer back to creation. I was just reading in, in, in the prophet of Jeremiah this morning for my devotional, and he refers back to the creator God several times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, you, you see that in the Psalms. You see that in, in many different places in the Old Testament. So what we find in the first pages of Scripture is basically the foundation, as you said, yeah. that re-echoes throughout the pages of the Scriptures later on and lays the foundation to many important Biblical teachings, be that on crea- uh, be that not just on creation, but on marriage, on the family, on uh, God, the Creator God, and on the Trinity, and the Trinity, and, and salvation, and salvation, many other things. Everything is in there, and so we're going to dig in because there's so much richness in in this lesson. And there's also a couple of things I want to make comments on that I did not sure. like the language of, and uh, and we'll blame all those on Michael. So. <laughs> <laughs> Of the other Dr. Hazel. Um, so it says right here at the beginning of this, the first chapters of Genesis are foundational for the rest of Scripture. The major teachings of doctrines of the Bible have their source in these chapters. And if you read that introduction on, on day one, you can see the various things that are there. Let's go right first to Sunday, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, God didn't, this is not just a literary tool. It, it had a defined purpose for, for, for utilizing those words. 
it, it communicates that it was a divine choice by a divine being to start the process. Yes, and it, it, it actually it provides us with, um, with meaning, <laughs> meaning for important questions that we face. It, it gives uh, meaning to the question, where do I come from? Yeah. Where is my origin? We all want to know where our origin is because it provides meaning to who I am. Yeah. It, it tells me um, why we are here. We, we are not here just because um, blind chance uh, made it happen. Yeah. There is a purpose uh, behind it, and God um, made a deliberate action to create human beings and this world. And um, it tells us how everything got started. And so these big questions of life are answered right there on, this, uh, on the first pages of Scripture. This would be, this is then so important for young people to understand this fundamental truth. Because so many young people ask the question, what is my purpose? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is the point of my life? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the beginning of, of the Bible is shows you that you have value, that you have purpose, that, that you are a choice. Yes, yes. By God. And I think it's, um, it tells you that, that you're valuable. Mm -hmm. You're not just a, a little speck in the universe that mm -hmm. uh, is, is unimportant, mm -hmm. but God uh, loves you. He's your creator. And uh, he wants to use you for, for the best of all. I agree. Now, I think people probably have picked up on this. But I should say very clearly that Frank and I are both uh, believe in a literal six-day creation. Seventh day with the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. um, and that we believe in, that was in the fairly recent past. Mm -hmm. Not recent, but Within the last 6,000, 7,000, 10,000 years. 10, years, yes. Uh, he threw in the 10,000. I didn't want to go there and put him in an awkward situation in case he, <laughs> I'm fine with the 10,000, but I want to make sure he was okay with um, Here's why this is so important. A couple of scriptures that they have is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and I would encourage people to go and read that, and Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. All right. Now, the book of John is so beautiful because some people believe that it's, it's one of the clearest expressions of the gospel, mm -hmm. in the, in, that, that really John paints a beautiful picture of the love of Christ, mm -hmm. right? Um, Hebrews is of such value because it really, all the people love that we no longer have to have a high priest, that we no longer have to make sacrifices, that we're no longer under the ceremonial law because Jesus fulfilled all these things. Mm. Both John and Hebrews, Frank, start with what theme? God as, is, Jesus as what? As creator. In the beginning was the word. Yeah. Yeah, and God created in the beginning. And you, if, if, if you don't believe that, you cannot really be a Christian. Yeah. I think. There, there is another connection that I see. Um, the technical, you know, theologians like to use technical words. Yeah. So the theologians speak about protology and eschatology. Protology means 
the teachings of the beginnings when everything started and yeah. eschatology are the teachings of the end times, yeah. uh, of the end. You know, if you don't believe that God created in the beginning, yeah. you cannot believe that he will recreate this world okay. in the end, you know. If there is no supernatural creation in the beginning, there will be no new earth yeah. supernaturally created by God in the end. Yeah. If everything evolved in the beginning, everything will evolve in a better future yeah. uh, later on. Yeah. It's a completely different paradigm. Yeah. And uh, so the teaching of creation and the teaching of his second coming yeah. really are connected in the Bible and belong together. And so many of these books that we love begin with this theme of creation. Mm -hmm. It's not just Genesis that begins no, with the theme of creation. No, no, no. It's the Gospel of John. Yes. People love the, the Scripture, uh, for God so loved the world. People love the, the, the picture that John paints at, at the crucifixion. It is finished, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and all of these things. People love Hebrews that were no longer under the old system, yes. the, the, the sacrificial system. The, all those books begin with the foundation of these things that you love is that Jesus is the creator. Is the creator. Yes. Yeah. No qualms about it. No qualms. So exactly what you said. You can't embrace all the other things. Of, of You can't say, well, I'm going to deny those first verses of those books and say everything else is okay. It will not work. It, it will, will not work. You will not do justice to what the Bible really says. It's illogical. Yes. Yeah. Now, some will say, okay, well, God played a part in creation, but he did it over this expanse of time and this space of time. And on Monday, we're talking about the days of creation. Yeah. And you and I, Frank, believe in literal days of creation. But this isn't just some, um, well, we've been told this all our lives, so that's what we believe, naivety. It's based on the study of the Word of God and an understanding of what the Word of God actually says. And I want you to talk about the word yom. Yes. And, and the depth and the breadth of, of yom in the book of Genesis and what it means. Yeah. See, some people um, get the idea. You have a, a statement like that in the New Testament that for God, um, a thousand years is like a day and a day yeah. is like a thousand years. Yeah. And so they think uh, when the Bible talks about days, it's a symbolic statement for a long period of time. Yeah. Now, uh, a thousand years will still not make up uh, a million years and, yeah, yeah. and longer yeah, yeah. that you need for the evolutionary process, so that will not really help yeah. in the first place. But people who make uh, that analogy what miss... What you're saying there, just let me, is those who are theistic evolutionists, they will still fall short of joining science far on short, the million. Far short. So even their attempts to join science yes. or, or what is considered modern science is still falling short. Yes. Okay, go yes. ahead. So, um, but the important thing is what they miss is uh, the use of words. And here we are back to the words that yes. we talked about last week. So um, when you read the creation story in Genesis 1, and you read this statement in the New Testament, you see there is a significant difference because in the New Testament, the statement that I quoted, God wants to make sure that, uh, to illustrate that for him, there, there is a different dimension. Yeah. What, what is short to us can be, can be, or what is long to us can be very short to yeah. him, you know. 
But in, in the Genesis account, you find a specific terminology. And the use of words makes it very clear that this is not a symbolic figure. It's not a symbolic time uh, frame that uh, the writer is ta he talking about. It. This Hebrew word day, yom, is qualified by uh, the description. And it was evening and morning, first day. Yeah. It was evening and morning, second day. It was evening and morning, third day. And that is interesting. That phrase, evening and morning, defines that word day. Yeah. And whenever that construction is used in the Bible, and you look it up, a literal 24-hour day is intended in its yeah. meaning. It's not a long period of time. It's not a thousand years. It's a literal day. In fact, when people study the Bible and they read about days in other parts of the Bible, no one says this battle was 160,000 years. <laughs> yes. Right? No one ever says yes. that. Yeah. They, yeah. they say it was 16 days. Ex exactly. Or whatever it and was. so the context here, and that is, that is even acknowledged by, uh, by some authors who would not believe in, in a, a little creation uh, report, but they say if you read it as it is written in Genesis, you would have to, to acknowledge that that is what the, the writer meant. Yeah. Uh, he had a literal day in mind and, and not just long periods of time. So when someone says that's what the writer meant and, that, and we say the Bible is inspired. So if an Adventist goes, I believe the Bible is inspired and, and even other theologians that believe in a long earth or, what, or long creation story say this is what the writer meant. That Adventist cannot believe that God inspired the Bible and embrace yeah. the, the long creation theory. Yeah. To me, it's, it's a very fascinating subject because, you know, in, in the evangelical world, you have a huge discussion that is going on among evangelicals today, even among those who, who affirm the inerrancy of Scripture, yeah. where everything is inerrant. But when it comes to the creation account, they become very flexible yeah. and try to accommodate uh, the biblical account yeah. with uh, current science and long ages, yeah, yeah. very long ages. Yeah. And uh, they don't care about what the Bible actually yeah. says. And to me, I wonder, you know, why, why can you and how can you affirm the inerrancy of Scripture yeah. <laughs> in and everything... Still. And, and yet when it comes to, to these questions, yeah. you throw out uh, the trustworthiness of Scripture and go with, with other things. We are too desirous to fit in, to get along, to get along. Oh, yes. And, and, and it's, it's the current paradigm, and, and we acknowledge that. I mean, if, if you go out in society and science and uh, in, in education... That, that's the paradigm yeah. that um, in most universities and schools, people are trained and uh, that uh, shape our thinking yeah, yeah. and the perception of society at large. And if you want to be part of that, you yeah. have to go with the flow. Yeah. There is good science, though, that supports creation theory. Oh, yes. Yeah. yes. So we want to affirm that. Uh, let me point out to some of our, our watchers, our viewers, who, who have heard the idea that God is limited. He had to work, I've heard this phrase, God had to work within the natural causes 
to bring about creation. Those same people will say, I'm, I'm so look forward to when Jesus comes again and I have a new body. <laughs> Why does God have to work through the natural causes protologically oh, at the beginning? That's a good question. That's a good question. But he doesn't have to work through the natural causes yes. at the end. Yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't make sense. It's illogical. Yeah. I, sometimes I think if we just paused and we didn't just read a part of the Bible and say, okay, now I'm going to just define my belief on this, but we read the entirety of Scripture, we would see that if you follow things to their logical conclusion, either you have to believe the Word of God is true and that God is the creator and that he created in six days, or God is a liar and he's not going to recreate us at all. Or you pick and choose and you, you create your own um, canon within the canon, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, within the canon. Um, I, we're going to get to why this is all, because I think the devil has attacked all of this, and we're going to talk about that some. But now let's go to Sabbath and creation, all right? Um, and, and, you know, some people call the, the Sabbath the Jewish Sabbath, but it's the Sabbath of the Bible. Hmm. Let's, let's just establish this. When the seventh day was made, there were no Jews. Exactly. All right? When the seventh day was made, there was no Ten Commandments as far as written down on those laws. When the seventh day was established, there was no sin. So the Sabbath is not a result of Judaism, of law, or of sin. Yes. The Sabbath is a result of God's desire to have relationship. It's older than all that. It's older than all that. Yeah. So let's just establish that yes. right there. Yeah. And that's set up foundationally at creation. Um, God did three things. Tell us about those, Frank. What are the three significant things God did in, or stated in regards to this day that he didn't say about any other day and he's never said about any other day? Well, uh, the first amazing thing is that God actually rested. He rested not because he and was... Explain what rested means yeah, in, well, in the context he, of God. He stopped working. You know, he, has, he created this world. He was active, producing something out of nothing. The most beautiful thing, the setting for, for the first human beings who were created in his image. And now he rests, not because he is exhausted, but because he wants to have special time with his creation, mm -hmm. with the people he created in his image. Um, to me, that is, that is so meaningful because, you know, sometimes people say, but where is the Sabbath in uh, the commandment in creation, in the creation story? And we don't have a commandment. We have something even more powerful, I think. Yeah. We have his example. So oh, wow. We are, we That's a good line. We are, we are created in the image of God, the imago Dei, as the theologians say, and, and we should imitate God, imitatio Dei. We should follow his example. Mm. We should do what he has done. So he created, he was active, and he rested. And to me, that is so meaningful because um, the first thing that, God, that Adam and Eve experienced was not work, was time out for God yeah. was a special time with their creator. And it tells you something about the meaning of work and the, and the value of work. Before God expects anything from us human beings that we produce, he first says, have time for me. Yeah. You know, and if, if you have time for me, if, if you enjoy the fellowship with me, 
if you have this Sabbath shalom, this peace, this harmony, this well-being yeah. with me, then you will, you will have the power to go to work and start doing things the, as I command you. The Sabbath is a metaphor of salvation. I do all the work, and now I invite everybody into rest. Jesus did the work of salvation, and now he invites us into that relationship. And then we change as a result of that relationship. We, he did all the work. He created us. Before we ever do any work, like you said, we rest yes. in his grace, in his relationship, in his work. And then we're changed from that experience of the Sabbath to go out and do likewise. Yes. And, and actually, before we work, we rest in God. You yeah. know? And it, it's, so there is grace, if you please. You know, there is grace before labor. Y- y- the labor. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the Sabbath is... Uh, uh, so he rested, so he rested. He, he blessed. He blessed it. He blessed the seventh day, and then he also, he sanctified it. Made now, it holy. He made it holy. Now, he blessed it, and he blessed the day. This is so important. If you read the fourth commandment, the longest commandment, it's, it's, it's centerpiece of the Ten Commandments. It's not that it's the most important. Every commandment is important, mm-hmm. but it's the center mm-hmm. piece mm-hmm. Of, of, of the Ten Commandments. And it, it, it starts with remember the seventh day. Remember the Sabbath day. It doesn't just say remember the Sabbath. Some Christians think the Sabbath is just a, a principle. It's, it's, just, um, uh, it's, it's just a principle of rest. Yeah, I'm going to go keep Thursday. So Sabbath. We, need, we need some rest, and we need to have that. And you can have that on Thursday or on Friday or on Sunday or on Saturday. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And you can shift the rest part wherever you need it and it's most convenient. But that's not what the, what the Bible says. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And it's always specific. a specific day. It's the seventh day that was blessed, and it's the seventh day that was sanctified and, and made holy by God. And therefore, we cannot move that uh, Sabbath principle, <laughs> the principle of rest, uh, to, to, to any other day. Yeah. It's connected to that specific seventh day. Have you read uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel's book, The Sabbath? Yes, a so beautiful book. Beautiful book. book. I would recommend it to everybody. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. I like what he said in there, what he talks about in there, is that the Sabbath was made holy by God. So when we, because def- we read, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and we will say things like, we'll, you know, we, talk, we think that by our actions the Sabbath is holy. Mm-hmm. No, we're stepping into a holiness exactly. in time. Exactly. Keeping it holy means that we're not actually keeping the day holy. The day is holy with or without yes, us. Yes, yes. Those hours are holy yes, with or without yes. us. We're choosing to step into the holiness of what. Of, of that relationship. And the beauty of the Sabbath is it comes to everybody freely. You don't have to, uh, to make a pilgrimage to a certain place no. to find the Sabbath. The Sabbath comes to you, no matter where you are yeah. in this globe, you know. He, he, he reaches you. The blessing of the Sabbath comes. And the Sabbath reminds us that no matter how hard you work, no matter how diligent you are, 
You're no, no matter how productive you are, there is always more to be done. Yeah. Your work will never be finished. And this is established in the story of creation, the foundation of the Bible, Genesis. Yes. Right there in that relationship. Right, right there. God works, he creates, and then he says, you've done nothing, now let's spend a day together. Exactly. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, now, we've gushed about the Sabbath, so I want to say this. Uh, I want to give some clarity because the last question on page 67 in their edition, mm -hmm. 101 in ours, it says it reveals the Sabbath commandment to be the basis for worshiping the Creator. I think that's a mistake. The language is wrong. Because mm -hmm. uh, well, we are as Adventists accused sometimes, right, of, of worshiping a day and not the God. Yes, yes, yes. And that would be terribly wrong. And that is wrong. Uh, the clarity that is needed is Sabbath is not the basis for worshiping God. God as creator is the basis of keeping the Sabbath. Exactly, I would agree. So, so however, this got a little bit tweaked. So, so when you're reading this, please don't think that the basis of worshiping God is the Sabbath, no. And we, we will never keep the Sabbath in order to get saved. Never. We are saved, and therefore we joyfully keep, keep the, the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath, because it's a beautiful day. Yes, yeah. I was created, so I get to spend a day with God. Exactly. I'm recreated. Yeah. I get to spend every seventh day just yeah. right there in that yeah. Stepping into the holiness of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. beautiful. I love it. Sorry, I get so excited about that. <laughs> but anyways, I don't like the way that was worded. I want to bring clarity to that too because I also want to say, because I know that globally there's so many people that study the Sabbath school mm -hmm, lesson. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, in North America, we could do a better job. We could go around the world and learn a little bit because I've been places, you've mm -hmm, been places mm -hmm. where, where a large percentage of the people studying the Sabbath school lesson are not Adventists. Yeah. And I want to make sure that everybody that maybe that's watching this that is not an Adventist knows yes. that the Sabbath is not the basis of our worship. No, God is. God is, is the, the basis foundation. of our I'm worship. I'm glad you pointed that out. So, so we, want to, we, want to, yes. we want to make that clear. Now, I told you I had a lot on this one. I love it. So now we're going to go to creation and marriage. Mm. And again, this is one of the foundational principles. So, so, so God is our creator. It establishes him as the authority then. The one who creates us mm -hmm. is the authority. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, then, then we see this like blessing of relationship in the Sabbath, but then we also get the foundation of the human family yeah. in the story of creation. Mm -hmm. He made them male and female. Mm -hmm. and, and this is an idea that is also under attack in our society. Mm -hmm. The idea not only that God makes people male and female, but the idea that God made male and female to be joined together. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about that a little bit, Frank. Yeah, but uh, the, the biblical ideal, the, well, the biblical, well, maybe that is a, <laughs> the biblical um, design, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, let's put it that way. The biblical design I'll is that, that in a minute. There, <laughs> it is an ideal, but yeah. uh, it's, it's not an ideal in the sense that there are alternatives to that ideal yeah, yeah. that we could follow. At, Let at me role. just clarify. Frank and I had a conversation before, and I told him I didn't like in, in there on page 68. It says, what do these texts, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and Genesis 2, 18, 21 through 24, what do these texts teach us about God's ideal for marriage? And the word ideal, especially in our modern context, means that this is preferable, but it's not absolute. Yeah. And, and I think that God doesn't have an alternative to marriage, uh, I mean singleness, but, but within the context of marriage, God has a design for marriage, specific like you said. Design, a yes. specific design, male and female. Male and female, and, and they are, they are um, 
they are created in such a way that they complement each other, and uh, and they are also pointing to God, their Creator. And so, um, in in this setting, this is the foundation of the family. It is the foundation of society because family is the smallest social unit in society, and uh, it, that's why it is so important for God and uh, why He has created us that way. No other um, relationship uh, has uh, the same potential that um, husband and wife do. Husband and wife has only husband and wife has the potential to uh, procreate and have children and be multi, be be fruitful and multiply yeah. as God has commanded us to be. Uh, and any other relationship that we find in modern society that seem that uh, strives to be on equal uh, par with uh, the biblical marriage yeah. does not even have that potential. And I would say this, society has a right to make the laws that they make. In Europe, you guys are familiar with this. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're just now becoming familiar with this in the United States, right? <laughs> yeah. But as a Christian, I can have a piece of paper from the state, but ultimately I want to have the ordained yeah. blessing of God. Yeah. And that's how God defines it. Yeah. One of the things that you said, which I really, 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 uh, that, that is in here that is so amazing, and I never saw this before, is that how God says he made the male and female. That's always pointed out to people. It's male and female, you know, and people say this. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Christians don't say that it's... Adam and Eve, not Adam. That's just insulting and unkind. We don't need to be that way. Mm -hmm. But, but in the fifth commandment, uh, or I mean, but but it also talks about how, for this reason, a man and woman shall be joined together, and they shall leave their father and mother. And in each case, it's defining specifically that a husband and wife are separate genders. Then they leave a mother and father who are separate genders. I never saw that before. Mm -hmm. It's very it's very interesting because. In the rest of Scripture, always when we read Scripture, it talks about really the Father having the say over whether or not. But when God very early on in Scripture, the foundation of Scripture, defines it, he makes sure to include mother and father. Yeah. Has that connection there. Well, we are, we are created and we, we come forth because there is a father and a mother. Yeah. Otherwise, there would be no it's children. It's not just the one or yeah. the other. And then the fifth commandment, again, this idea. And the fifth commandment is important, not just for, for, for marriage and the family. The fifth commandment actually is a link between the, the, the first four commandments and the other uh, six commandments. Yeah. And in the, in the Jewish reckoning of the Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment is actually counted with the other four. So you have five yeah. On this side of, of, of the stone yeah. and, and five on the other side of the stone. Why? Because in their thinking, and there is a certain legitimacy to that, it is the parents who really uh, transmit God to the children, yeah. who teach them about God. And therefore, they are a, a link between the first four commandments that teach yeah. us our relationship between God and the other commandments that teach us about our relationship to our fellow beings, yeah. human beings. That's good. Um, you know, and we understand that there's people that struggle with all sins, just like we struggle with sins. You and I struggle with oh, sins. Yeah, we yeah. don't struggle maybe with that sin, but we struggle with sins. And, and so we're not saying that we don't understand people's struggle. No, no. 
And I would also say this, because sometimes when we focus on one thing, people can get critical and say, you're making that sin worse than another sin. No, we're not talking about that at all. And we have to be um, humble enough, I would say, and, and uh, acknowledge that we all are sinners. Mm-hmm. And saying that, I mean that we all need God's forgiveness. Yeah. And uh, nobody is better or worse uh, in the eyes of God because of that. We, we all need his forgiveness, no matter what we have done. And we need to all go on the journey together. Yeah, we're, we're on the like, journey. Uh, the, the thing isn't to shun somebody. The thing should be go along that brother, no, and that sister that may be living that life and, and love them and be in relationship with them so that And encourage them to together. discover the beauty of the biblical picture. Uh, picture. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's, let's go to creation, the fall, and the cross. And I want you really, let's, let's read Romans 5.12, uh, yeah. Frank. And then I want you to just, I want you to delve into this. Go ahead. So Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Yeah, we can just, well, let's just stop there. Let's talk about this. Uh, uh, Let's talk about the, the Bible says that sin came through one man. Yeah. And it came through Adam. Yeah. Specifically. Um, now, what's the danger if we deny the foundation of the Bible, the Genesis creation story, and how does it impact what we just read in Romans chapter 5? Now, the, this analogy, this, this comparison that Paul makes here in chapter 5 between Adam, the first man, and Christ, the second Adam, if you, if you please, would not work anymore if Adam were not uh, a real human being. Yeah. So through a real human being, sin entered the world, not otherwise. See, if, if Adam were not would not have been a real human being, then he would be just a generic term for humanity at large. Mm -hmm. That doesn't help us really uh, to understand the biblical picture because if that would be the case, then where, where did Adam as a historical being come into existence? Mm -hmm. And when did sin come into existence? And if Adam, as a historical being, did not exist, and sin, then, and sin would not have come through Adam, then, you know, if, if, if we would have life long ages before Adam, mm -hmm. you would have life and death before Adam existed. Yeah. You would have a completely different paradigm of thinking. Yeah. And, and, it, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, if, if, if sin did not enter the world through Adam... Then who did it enter the world through? Well, then why is there sin in the first place? And Who would be the creator of sin? And who is the creator of sin? And who, why do I need a savior? Yeah. Uh, you know, if everything evolves and gets better and better, yeah. uh, I don't... Uh, we are not talking about a fall. Yeah. <laughs> we are talking about an evolution into, uh, into bliss. And God is the creator of sin if we believe that sin entered this world or 
in the long age theory of creation, right? Yeah, that, 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 that would be one, one problem. Another problem would be, you know, if, if, God, if God would use the mechanism of evolution for his creation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even to call that is strange to me. Yeah, yeah. But if, if, if that were the mechanism, how he created, then I think it would throw a very dark picture upon this God who uses evolution as a mechanism for creation. Why? Because in evolution, you need death in order to evolve to a higher stage. The whole premise of evolution is survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest, and it's blind chance. There is no purpose in this, and it's, uh, it's entirely cruel, and it's very wasteful. You know, it's, it eliminates entire population yeah. groups. And if that is the style the creator works, yeah. does he really deserve my admiration and my, uh, my veneration and my uh, worshiping him Absolutely that way? Not. You know, can I trust a person like that? I mean, this, is, this may be somewhat offensive to people and people may be insulted by this, but I'm sorry, this is just the reality. The logical conclusion of believing in theistic evolution the idea that there is a God, but he has to create through evolution, is to say, I'm okay with God being Hitler. Because, and I say this because Hitler's, one of Hitler's things was uh, the idea that let's terminate the weakest of society yes. to build a stronger society. Yeah, yeah. And that is what evolution is. Yeah. It says, get rid of the weakest and only the fit survive. Yeah. Is, am I not accurate in that? Yes, yes. I mean, and, and how I, do you, I, like you even you were no, like, whoa, no, whoa. No, 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 no. I but mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's in your face. Very but. strong what you say, <laughs> but ultimately you have a point there. And, and there's, there's another thing, you know, if, if you have that survival of the fittest, if you have that mechanism at work, how do you explain the origin of self-giving love, yeah. sacrificial love? Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And yet that is what we all think is the highest expression of, of human dignity and, yeah. and uh, what we humans can aspire to be. And so, uh, but it would not make sense uh, in, in an in evolutionary evolution paradigm. Yeah, I mean, even Jesus' own words, like, you know, that we're to care for the, the weak and the, the lowly yes, amongst yeah. us. It's a completely different... Mindset. It's a contradiction to, like, you're the creator that created us in a design pattern that gets rid of the weak, and now you're telling us to take care of the weak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, logically, those yes. things don't no. work out. Yes. That's where I always get to with this, with this, with the evolution thing. Is why I could never believe in it. It's because logically it doesn't work. Now I could get to it if I decide I don't want to believe in a God anymore, or if I don't want to believe in the Word of God mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. But, but for folks to say, yeah, I'm a believer in God, but I. Mm -hmm. I just, I just can't There's get there. There's a discrepancy that, that just doesn't the logical fit. logical conclusions can't get there. Um, you know, which, and we're running out of time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this statement from Ellen White that I think is, is important on, on page 70. Hmm. The greatest minds, if not guided by the Word of God, become bewildered in their attempts to investigate the relations of science and revelation. The Creator and His works are beyond their comprehension, and because these cannot be explained by natural laws, Bible history is pronounced unreliable. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 8, page 258. If science leads the Bible the way we understand the Bible, 
then ultimately nature is the authority and not God. Yes. If the Bible leads, then science must, we have to re-examine our views of science and, and the way that science works. Go ahead, you were going to say Or something. at least our interpretation of, of Our interpretation of, of, of science, science yes. works. And, and I would say this, both evolution and creation are theories of faith. I wasn't there six to 10,000 years ago when Jesus and when the Godhead, the Trinity, made this planet. Mm -hmm. Frank, you're older than me, but you weren't there, were you? Not, not quite. No, not, not quite. <laughs> Don't make me that old. I know. <laughs> Nor was anybody there when supposedly evolutionary theory happened. Yes. And since theory is supposed to be, my science classes, I don't know, I'm sure in Germany the same way, you're supposed to build a theory on something that is observable mm -hmm. and repeatable. Or repeatable, yes. And no one's been able to observe or repeat either creation or evolution. So they're both theories of faith. And one is a theory that l paints a picture of a God that loves us. Yes, and is in harmony with what the Bible says. With what the Bible says. And one paints a picture of a God that is cruel. That is cruel. Yes. And that doesn't love us. Doesn't love us. No, it's so. Uh... And that doesn't really want to be our savior. And is not worthy of our ad, yeah, adoration, really. So I would just challenge those who are listening to this that, are, that struggle with this to, to think about they're both theories of faith. Which, which one do you want? Mm. Are you going to build it on the word of God? Yeah. And really a, a, a practice that has stood thousands and thousands of years. Now, before we close, Frank, why this is, and this sums up what we're saying though, why does Satan attack creation so much? Why does he attack Genesis so much? I think um, because he knows that if we believe in creation, God is real. We, uh, the God that we believe in is uh, powerful, is capable of doing things, and he is... Um, he is the one who um, claims us as his own. And, um, and for me, the Sabbath really is a, a memorial of that creation understanding. Yeah, yeah. And if we, if we keep the Sabbath the way it is intended, it's not a legalistic exercise. Yeah. It's really a, a birthday celebration yeah, yeah. that reminds us of, of our origin and who we come from and where life gets its meaning from. And so uh, if you attack that, uh, you establish a different paradigm of thinking where you don't need a God at all, where you can uh, explain everything from naturalistic causes, imminent causes, uh, where God uh, is, is foreign to that thinking, really. And I think that's why Satan attacks uh, creation. Satan's whole uh, mission is to undermine the value and the trust in God. Yeah. And attacking this, again, logically, let's just think about this. It makes sense that these things are crumbling because Satan, as we get closer and closer to time, 
He wants to crumble more and more people's faith yeah. in the true God. Yeah, and I, I think it doesn't, it doesn't make us more loving. It, it leads to greater egoism yeah. because I just have to, to, to see my own survival of the fittest yeah. and the strongest gets the way, you know, and it has a, it has a completely different ethics. Yeah. And I think that uh, that is what we see today in society at large in, in, in many parts, not, not everywhere, but yeah. we can see that. And I think God wants to, to help us to regain something that uh, is more like him. Yeah. Well, thank you, Frank. And as I stated, we were going to go longer on this one. <laughs> I think we might, this might be our longest. I, I want to thank Dan Weber and Jason Lombard because yes. uh, Frank and I both want to thank them. We get to sit up here and talk, and they, they have to listen and make sure that we sound okay and that everything's getting recorded. Yes, yes. So we thank them for their patience with us on this as well. Thank you. And, uh, but I want to encourage you to come back because actually this conversation on Genesis continues. Yes in next Absolutely. week's lesson. Yeah. And so we look forward to seeing you next week. And please stay safe in COVID-19. And remember, while you're physically distanced, don't be socially distanced. Reach out to people, connect with them, call them, pray with them. Maybe call them and ask them if they're watching this and discuss what you agree or disagree yeah. with us on yeah. and have a conversation about that at your own little Sabbath school. Yeah. Anyways, we love you and we'll see you next week. Take care.